Hey there, everybody. It is the Then Again podcast with the Northeast Georgia History Center. I am Glenn, and today I have a fantastic returning guest, Dr. Ben Wynn. How are you doing today, sir? Doing fine, Glenn. Thanks for having me. I know last time we talked about your uh, trip to the Mississippi Delta and how hot it was, and I know that it doesn't probably quite compare, but here recently, the weather has felt like what I imagine the jungles of Vietnam to feel like. It's hot and it's muggy and at least people aren't shooting at us, I guess. Hey, hot is hot, you know. <laughs> you know last time you um, you talked about the blues and the, and the trip and everything, and I know that you have also written a book. You have written a book about a guy named Henry Stuart Foote, who is one of those people from history that none of us know about, but as it turns out, he's actually kind of a central, important, and fascinating figure. Tell us why you got interested in him, and then we can start talking about the man himself. Well, Henry Foote was a, uh, uh, before the Civil War, he was a politician, he was a unionist. I mean, and he, and he was from Mississippi, he's really from Virginia, lived in Alabama for a while, but most of his political dealings were in Mississippi. He was against secession. He was one of the few major Mississippi politicians in the 1850s who was against secession. He was a unionist, meaning he was pro-union, and he didn't think his state should uh, secede. So back in the dark ages, when I was writing my dissertation for my doctorate, I wrote the dissertation on unionists in Mississippi, and uh, his name kept popping up. And then come to find out, he was sort of involved in just about every major event of the, well, he was born in 1804, he died in 1880. So all the stuff leading up to the Civil War and even some of the stuff after the Civil War, he was involved in, either directly or on the fringes. And he was a wild, this this wild figure. Uh, he fought in six duels uh, that I could find, innumerable fistfights with the other politicians. And he was just kind of this uh, crazy character. And I thought it would be um, fun to uh, see what he was all about. Looking through a little bit about him, you're right. I mean, he's, you know, not to belittle him or, or to use an awful metaphor, he's almost like the Forrest Gump of the antebellum American scene. A little bit, yes. <laughs> now, that's was, a good, I've never heard that description, but that's a good description. <laughs> he's, he seemed to have been everywhere and, and knew everyone, or at least was involved with stuff. And that, you know, looking at him, some of the stuff I got most interested in, just because this is this is what I'm fascinated by, was how involved he was with Texas and the Texas Revolution. Uh, yeah, he was uh, like many Southerners, you know, they, especially political people, they were paying attention to both the Texas Revolution and then afterwards, of course, the annexation movement was a major uh, question. And he got very interested in that. He helped raise money for the Texas Revolution. Once the revolution ended successfully, he also then went out to Texas and he tried to get involved in politics there. He bought a bunch of land and he cozied up to um, some of the big Texas politicians uh, out there. Uh, unfortunately for him, he cozied up to a guy named Mirabeau Lamar, who was a direct rival of Sam Houston in Texas. Sam Houston, they had a lot of political battles, and uh, Foote sort of hitched his star to Lamar's wagon, and uh, Sam Houston, of course, eventually won out, became the primary political figure there in Texas for a while, and once that happened, Foote was on the outside looking in. Uh, if uh, Mirabeau Lamar had 
emerged as a major major figure in Texas for the long term. Uh, there was talk about Foot becoming the Secretary of State out in Texas before Texas was annexed. You know, he was he definitely moved in in high circles there in Texas, but he sided against Sam Houston, which ended up being a fatal political error. You know, that's interesting because politics is so strange, especially in this early republic. Uh, folks, if you don't know exactly what we're talking about, you're going to have to go get yourself some background. But you know, he so he becomes a rival of Sam Houston, who is a proud follower, disciple almost, of Andrew Jackson. And yet Foote was kind of a Jacksonian, wasn't he? He was, he was a Jacksonian. And uh, yeah, every the political system out there where he was, Mississippi, Texas, uh, he was in Alabama for a while. Uh, when he was there uh, doing his thing and, and, and rising to prominence in the 18, let's say the 1840s, going into the 1840s, the political situation was still pretty fluid. It was more personality politics than party politics because Foote ran for a local office once as a Whig and he was a lifelong Democrat. Later on, he became a Republican after the Civil War. But uh, he was definitely a follower of Andrew Jackson. But if you wanted to get elected to something, the Deep South during that period, you had to be a follower of Andrew Jackson because Jackson was wildly popular, of course, uh, in the South. But yeah, uh, you know, these alliances would be created and then uh, this one would have a falling out with that one. So the, the alliances shifted a lot of times and, you know, it's politics. You can't really tell who your friends are sometimes and you can't really <laughs> tell who your enemies are sometimes. Right. And, and yeah, and they, that's a very fluid situation, as you say, and, and you could uh, be arguing to death with someone one day and then a week later you're proudly saying you're on their side and challenging all comers. What did, the, what did the Godfather say? Keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Yes, exactly. Kind of exactly. Exactly. Well, he, okay. So he, you know, Mississippian and go ahead and say that the name of the book, uh, for those of you who are interested in it is the man who punched Jefferson Davis. So, you know, tell us a little bit about those two. They're both Mississippians go into a little bit of the background with those guys and how it actually I would say evolved or devolved, depending upon your point of view, into a fist fight. Well, uh, that was one of many fist fights that uh, he got into uh, that he was involved in uh, during his lifetime. But Henry Foote was probably Jefferson Davis's most vocal critic, political critic, and they hated each other. And the way they dealt with it, uh, Foote was a very blustery kind of guy, so he would uh, make snarky comments and write snarky articles. They were published in newspapers, and he would give speeches where he criticized Davis. That's how he dealt with the rivalry. Davis tried to deal with it. Davis was more aloof, and he tried to deal with the rivalry just by ignoring anything Foote said. And uh, But they were enemies throughout their lives. Um, and again, Davis, Foote was probably Davis's worst enemy as far as being a public uh, enemy of his. Uh, anyway, the they believe that the origins of the, the feud, the rivalry there between those two guys, uh, dates back to uh, 1844 when Davis's brother-in-law uh, was killed. Uh, he was shot and killed in a duel, what amounted to a duel. And the guy that killed Davis's brother-in-law hired an attorney, and that attorney was Henry Foote. And Henry Foote was able to get the guy acquitted. So Foote got the, the, the fellow that killed Davis's brother-in-law. Foote was able to get him acquitted. And it was a very prominent court case uh, back then at the time. 
And uh, they believed that the, the Davis and Foote, the rivalry and the hatred began there because Foote made a big deal out of getting the guy acquitted. And Davis, of course, did not like that outcome. And then a few years later, they were both running for political office. Uh, they were both around the same uh, age. Foot was a couple of years older. Uh, so they were coming of age at the same time politically, and they were political rivals. Both of them were vying to have their voices heard. Were, were they running for the same offices sometimes? They only ran for the same office uh, once. A little bit later on, Foot beat Davis for governor of Mississippi. But what ended up happening, Davis and Foote, it's kind of a complicated story, but they end up both serving in the United States Senate together. The Mississippi, of course, like every other state, had two senators, in it, and Davis and Foote were the two senators. Oh, dear. <laughs> so they hated each other. The two senators from the same state hated one another. They were at a boarding house uh, discussing politics with some other uh, political uh, figures, some other congressmen. And the thing got heated, and um, uh, they got into a big fistfight there in the, the boarding house. And it was notable because Davis never lost his cool. It was one of the few times Davis ever lost his cool and like got into a physical altercation with somebody. So that's what made that fight significant. And all the, the, the people that witnessed it, they took a vow to say nothing about it. Uh, once they pulled the two guys apart, they didn't want it getting out, leaking to the press. So didn't find out much about it until a little later on. These guys started telling the, the story about it. Interesting. Now, you know, I guess the uh, the history of the American Senate is just, and the House of Representatives is full of people beating the crap out of each other. And part of me wishes we were still like that in a way. Uh, it would it might settle some things in in other ways, but. You know, Jefferson Davis, of course, goes on to become president of the Confederacy after secession and, and Foote is a unionist. But I was looking, Foote does eventually run for, he's a unionist, but he runs for Confederate Congress and is elected to the Confederate Congress. What was, is he just a consummate politician and goes with the wind? What were his motivations? Was it just trying to find a way that he could counter Davis? What was... Because it just seems like a very, again, I know it's a fluid situation, but it's a very, very, I guess, opportunistic view of the man. And I wonder if that's just a, a legitimate view. That is a legitimate view. He was a very opportunistic. I don't know that he was that much more opportunistic than a lot of other politicians. He just seemed to turn it into a, kind of an art form. <laughs> but as far as being a, a unionist and running for uh, Confederate Congress, that really wasn't unusual. You know, Alexander Stevens of, of Georgia, he was a unionist and he ended up being vice president of the Confederacy. What happened is a lot of those guys that uh, were pro-union and were against secession, well, when it became apparent that their states were going to secede with them or without them, that's when they switched. And Foote, number one, he, he longed to hold political office. He was always running for something. Then, uh, two, a lot of people do think that he wanted to be elected to the Confederate Congress just so he could give Jefferson Davis a hard time, which he did. He gave innumerable <laughs> speeches on the floor of the Confederate Congress calling Davis a tyrant and a despot and, I mean, any name you could call him. 
foot did that. I mean, he was a complete thorn in Davis's side, blamed Davis, got made speeches on the floor of the Confederate Congress, blaming Davis for every Confederate loss, criticized Davis's allies. The generals that Davis liked, Foote was highly critical of them. So, I mean, it just went on and on. So over the over the course of the war, of course, Davis has a harder and harder time trying to hold things together. And ultimately and eventually, the, the South does fall apart. It's, it's defeated militarily. Its resources are exhausted. So what's the What's the post-war story with, with Foote and, and, and Davis? You know, Davis goes on and he's held in prison for a while and Lincoln and the federal government can't figure out what to do with him. What, what about Foote? Where does he play in all that? Okay, what Foote tried to do, uh, Foote talking about being an opportunist. In 1865, right before the war was over, but when it was apparent that there was going to be that the Confederacy was going to go down in flames. Foot resigns from the, I'm sorry, Foot left the Confederate Congress. He didn't resign. He just left Richmond where they were meeting. He decides on his own that he is going to travel to Washington, D.C. And in his role as a Confederate congressman, he was going to try to meet with Abraham Lincoln and broker some type of peace settlement between the North and the South. Uh, even though he was not authorized to do so or anything like that. He just decided he was going to do that. So he escapes, uh, goes through the, the lines there and gets into the, goes into the north and into Washington, D.C. He never gets to see Lincoln, but he did uh, get to talk to William Seward, uh, the Secretary of State. The federal authorities, they didn't want any part of Foot, so um, they uh, basically Foot had to leave the country and go to Canada for a little while until the war actually ended. Uh, then he came back, and he ends up settling in Nashville, Tennessee, and uh, he becomes a Republican, uh, whereas he had been a Democrat. He becomes a Republican. He be- gets involved in Republican politics during Reconstruction, and he also starts writing books. He wrote run one big, long book about uh, the history of the Civil War era. From his perspective, about two-thirds of the book was critical of Jefferson Davis. His <laughs> name was mentioned over and over again. Then he wrote a memoir where he tore, tore Davis up again. But uh, he was a pretty well-known Republican politician after the um, Civil War was over in Tennessee. And as a reward for promoting the Republican Party in Tennessee uh, during Reconstruction, Rutherford B. Hayes, uh, when he becomes president, he appoints uh, foot to be the uh, the manager of the the mint, the the New Orleans uh, mint, federal mint in New Orleans, and uh, that was the last job he held before he died in 1880. So he was a real chameleon. This uh, foot, he ran for office once as a Whig, a couple of times as a Democrat, uh, once as something called a Union Democrat, and then uh, he also became a Republican. And then of course he was in the Confederate Congress. So yeah, he had a lot of flipping and flopping with him. That's just amazing <laughs> to me that he's that someone could get away with that, and yet he continues to be elected. I guess it's he knows how to talk to people and he knows how to tell them what they he want a, to hear. He was a Brit from all accounts, he was a brilliant public speaker, and his appearances were spectacles, and people were from all over would you got to remember this is a an era when there was no TV radio or anything like that so you know, it was also uh, these these political speeches were also entertainment. Right. People would come from miles around just to hear him speak, and he was able to 
he was able to get elected to a lot of things, even though he was this kind of wild character. I mean, he, he was one of these guys, the people that liked him, loved him, and the people that hated him, just hated him, hated his guts. And as he went on through, more people, he started collecting more people that hated him than people <laughs> that liked him. So by the end of his life, you know, he had some friends, but you know, a lot of people didn't didn't care for him. Even the people that, that liked him would refer to him as a, uh, an erratic genius, for instance. Uh, yeah. In other words, they'd call him a genius, but they couldn't do that without qualifying it somewhere. Sure, That sure. he was erratic, you know. So anyway, he was one of those kind of guys. There was no middle ground. You either liked him or you hated him. I know, you know, so many men like that uh, in history who are consummate politicians, statesmen, uh, they're somewhat mercurial. Did he have anything outside politics? I mean, was he a married man? Did he ever engage in fatherhood? Did he own a business? What was what was his non-political background? He, uh, yeah, he was a family. People always ask about his family. Uh, basically, yeah, he had uh, six children. And uh, at one point, he had gone out to California to try to get involved in politics there. He was there for several years uh, prior to the Civil War. And uh, his children came of age while he was out in California. Uh, several of them did. And they married into the political families out in California. So one of his daughters married a, a guy that was United States senator from uh, Nevada. One of his daughters uh, married uh, a mayor of Oakland, California. Uh, so he had uh, six children, uh, and he was married twice. Uh, his first wife passed away, but uh, he was basically an absentee father. He always made sure that his wife and children had a big house to live in and that they were taken care of, but he, he was on the road. He wasn't around much. He was out politicking, and he made money. Basically, he made it and he spent it. He would uh, spend all his money, and then he would start practicing law again. He was a lawyer. Uh, he was a very good lawyer, so he he would uh, start practicing law, make some money. Then he would uh, start doing something more political again. And he also did a lot of um, land speculation. Uh, because he knew a lot of other politicians, of course, he was involved in some behind-the-scenes you know, wheeling and dealing. Uh, it's no different from today. Uh, so uh, he made money speculating and speculating in land uh, as well. So interesting because, you know, our, um, our politicians today are so, are so tame compared to the, you know, compared to the way things, things used to be. I remember when I was at the Atlanta history center, speaking of the dark ages, uh, we, we wanted to have a, an event a unique event. So one day we had an 1860 4th of July celebration and there was, you know, barbecue and, and bells and hoop skirts having dances and everything. We also were going to have political stump speeches, literal political stump speeches. And, you know, we told people this is going to happen and it was going to be, you know, talking about the upcoming 1860 election. We had to get a, an interlocutor at the very beginning in modern clothes to say, okay, people, the things you're going to see and hear are from 1860. Right. So, so get ready, you know, don't be surprised. Don't get too upset, but realize that what you're going to see is the kind of politicking that used to happen. And people freaked out because we also put people around the, uh, you know, people in costume around the crowd and they would start yelling back at the politicians. And we got into a little scuffle over on the side and people turned white. They got so scared and, 
And again, you know, I don't know if those were the good old days, the bad old days, but they were the days. Yes, that was definitely not uh, definitely you know, not uncommon for that to happen. There's a famous foot was involved in an altercation on the floor of the United States Senate where foot pulled a gun on Thomas Hart Benton, who was a senator from Missouri. Yeah, and an old, and a fellow who used to duel with Jackson too. Another connection there. That's right. I believe he had one of Jackson's bullets in his arm, or he did. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, and then later on, he got in a fight with. Um, John C. Fremont, who was the first Republican uh, candidate for president, got a fight uh, with got in a fight with him in the Senate cloakroom. And Fremont, I believe, was the son-in-law of uh, Thomas Hart Benton. So, I mean, it's one right after the other. He got in a fist fight with a Solon Borden, a, a, a senator from Arkansas. Again, five or six duels he was involved in. It's amazing he didn't get killed. Yeah, back then it was rough and tumble. These guys today a little bit wimpy uh, in compared. Right. <laughs> those characters back then. <laughs> well, uh, folks, that's almost all the time we have. The book is called The Man Who Punched Jefferson Davis by Ben Wynn. It's from the LSU Press. And if you want a guide on how you can get into politics and reinvigorate the modern American political scene, it's the book to get. Thank you so much for, for joining us again. Uh, you've always got fantastic stories. Uh, even if you do tell them mostly from Mississippi, that's okay. It's a pretty cool state. <laughs> Well, some, sometimes. <laughs> well, I appreciate right. I appreciate you inviting me in, uh, on and appreciate you uh, letting me talk to you. Oh, no problem. No problem. Well, folks, please be sure and tune in next time for the Then Again podcast. In the meantime, please go to our Facebook page and follow us there to see what kind of events we have going on, both in person and virtual. And follow us on our website, too. You can find out more about the History Center and some of the things we offer. And until we see or listen to you next time, please stay safe and take care. Then Again is a production of the Cottrell Digital Studio at the Northeast Georgia History Center. To learn more about the Northeast Georgia History Center, visit www.negahc.org.